Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week we got a chance to go to our local gaming convention, Grand Con. It's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's extremely local to us, so we had a chance to do it this past weekend. We're actually recording the day after it ends, so I have a real tight time frame to get this thing produced. But we wanted to sit down, we wanted to discuss it, so... But that's actually going to be our discussion topic this week. We're just going to kind of talk about our impressions, how we felt about Grand Con, you know, the the little squabble that Natasha and I may have gotten into over (laughs) a particular game, (laughs) that sort of thing. Uh, That's going to be in the discussion topic. But we did get a chance to play one of my favorite games, and that's something that we're going to talk about and review, which is Dead of Winter. And then Natasha actually got a chance to play another deduction game. Mm Mm-hmm. Paint the Roses. Paint the Roses, right. So she's going to kind of chat about that a little bit, and I'm probably going to say, nah, I'll never play it. But (laughs) that's how that goes. But let's just go ahead and get right into it. I want to talk about what we played at Grand Con, which was Dead of Winter. This is a semi-cooperative game designed by Jonathan Gilmore and Isaac Vega, art by David Richards, Fernanda Suraz, and Peter Walken. The versions I have are published by Plaid Hat Games, and I believe now that entire IP is actually owned by Fantasy Flight. Plaid Hat got bought out by Asmodee, and then Colby rebought it back, but he lost Dead of Winter, and I think Fantasy Flight has Dead of Winter now. So in this game, players are survivors of a zombie apocalypse in a weakened colony trying to survive the Dead of Winter. So Dead of Winter is a semi-co-op, meaning that you play with one of the players potentially being a traitor. So during setup, players will receive a personal objective card. This card has a certain endgame objective that player is trying to accomplish, and it will also let the player know if they are the traitor. To quickly clarify winning and losing in this game, before the game starts, there's a main objective the players pick. This could be surviving a certain number of rounds, collecting zombie samples, a variety of different things. This objective needs to be accomplished before any personal objectives if a non-traitor player is going to win. That said, even if they accomplish it, they still need to complete their personal objectives to win. Same is true for the trader. They need to make sure the main objective isn't completed, but also need to complete their personal objectives. So you could end up completing the main objective, but no one wins because they couldn't complete their personal objectives. So how do rounds work in the game? Well, each round is broken up into two phases, the player phase and the colony phase. At the start of the player phase, the first thing players do is reveal that round's crisis. This is a round objective that players need to fulfill or essentially bad things happen. It could be something like you need to have enough gas for each non-exiled player. So in a five-player game, you need to provide five gas. This also provides an opportunity for the trader to sabotage because when players contribute to this, they are actually going to be playing cards from their hand face down into a pile. Next is roll action dice. Each player has a number of action dice based on the number of survivors they control. Then you move into the player turns. Each player in turn order will take their actions. There are actions that require action dice, and there's others that are considered free actions. The actions that require dice is attacking, which is killing a zombie at a location with one of your survivors, searching, which allows players to gain cards into their hand based on the location they are at. So the game has six unique locations, like you have the police station, grocery store, school, stuff like that, and each deck is unique, so you're more likely to find guns at the police station than you are at the school. Next, you can build a barricade, which prevents zombies from spawning. You can clean waste. Players will be contributing to the colony that creates waste, which can hurt players' morale. You can attract, which lets players draw zombies to other locations. 
or you can use any unique survivor abilities that may cost a die. Players also have free actions, which are playing a card from their hand, adding a card to the crisis, moving a survivor. You could spend food tokens to increase die results. You can request or give items to other players, or you can even vote to exile a player. After all players have taken their turns, you will move into the colony phase. In this phase, players will need to pay food based on the number of survivors at the colony. Next, they're going to check their waste to see if they exceeded their number. Then they are going to resolve the round crisis, so one player will take all the face-down cards, shuffle them up, and reveal them one at a time. If players fail this, it can actually be pretty bad. Then they add zombies to the board. After that, they check to see if the main objective is fulfilled. If not, they move it into the next round. One of the main things players are controlling is the colony's morale. If this ever drops to zero, the main objective immediately fails. There are a few things that affect morale. Uh, when a survivor dies, the colony can't feed themselves, if there's too much waste, that kind of thing. I think what makes this game amazing is the tension it delivers each and every game. This is also the first game that introduces a crossroads system. So what the crossroads system is, to the player to the right of the active player is going to draw a card. And on that card, it's going to have a certain thing written on top, which is going to say, if this player moves a survivor from the colony to a location, an event triggers, and you read the card, and then you resolve the event. This is the first game that introduced this crossroads system, and I really enjoy that system. Like, that Mm -hmm. system, it doesn't happen every single time you play, but it happens enough that it just makes the game fun and has these unique interactions, and it just kind of... Got all these unique scenarios. Like, some of them might be, if these two players are in play which is rare but if you have if you happen to play a game those two players are in play then all of a sudden you've got this unique scenario that pops up and that's fun yeah it almost creates like a story you know within itself so every game will play out slightly differently Mm -hmm. and they're really thematic with their characters you know like we had one that these two care if these two characters were in play which they happen to be in play then they they fought over power and we had to to vote on who was in power and make these laws it was really unique and it was very different than any other game i had played which was cool it definitely provides a unique experience each and every time so i really like that crossroad system but i think what i truly love about this game is the tension you feel when you don't know who's on your side and who isn't on your side. And part of that comes from the personal objectives. So these personal objectives, I mean, they could be anything. You could say that, you know, you're a pyromaniac and you need to have in your hand a end game and three cans of gas, mm-hmm. you know, that it could be something as simple as that. But when you're not contributing gas and then somebody finds out you do have gas, they're going to question why you have gas. And you're gonna be like, well, it's my personal objective. And everyone's like, yeah, right. You know, okay, sure. Uh-huh. Really? Is it? Or are yeah. you the traitor? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't love I don't love the personal objective of this game because I need to contribute gas, but I need to collect gas, but also gas will kill zombies. You know, and it's it's so tight, like the, the round objectives are are so tight, like you barely have enough to complete them all. And and if you don't complete them, you lose morale and that could lose you the game. So you really have to complete these, but there's just not enough items to like complete these and complete your personal objectives do you help each other out with their personal objectives i don't know it just makes it it, i don't like semi-co-op for that reason like it either needs to be cooperative where we're all working to help each other with our personal objectives or they don't need to matter my opinion so i've played this game 
strictly just cooperative because I've, I've I've played it with uh with a like my RPG group. We've played this game a, a, like a bunch of times. And at one point, one of the players was like, hey, can we just not have a trader and just do this like straight up cooperatively? And I'm like, sure, we can try that. And it it lacks the tension that having a trader gives. Yes. But at the same time, it's hard because those personal objectives, they give you an opportunity to look like a trader, even though you're not the trader. So how do you recreate that feeling of why are they hoarding onto gas when we need to contribute gas to this crisis? Like, mm-hmm. why can't we like, why is that? a? Why are they doing that? OK, maybe it's a personal objective. OK, sure. But it, it's that little bit in the back of your head like, OK, anyone can say, well, it's my personal objective. But you need, still need to contribute to the the um the round objective, otherwise you're going to lose the game. So even if you are open about that, it's like, okay, well, why help? You know, do you help the game win along? Why bother if you're not going to win your personal objective? If this gas card wins me my personal objective but loses me the game, or I win the game but lose my personal objective if I play it, I just you're just not in a good position. So the way I approach this game, I can I can only speak for the way I approach this game. I understand where you're coming from because it's like if I'm not going to win, should I just make sure nobody wins? So yeah. then you almost like you're like a trader's assistant in that particular scenario, right? Uh-huh. But for me personally, when I play this game, my main goal, if I am not the trader, is completing the main objective. To win the game. If we complete the main objective, in even though I may not have completed my personal objective, I still count that as a win. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't log it as a win on my board game stats. I don't. But for me personally, it's a win because the game is difficult. Yes. Anytime I've played the trader, I haven't really had to do much manipulating. No. I've There's been a couple like key moments where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this because I know this will benefit us and I'm just not going to do it. But it's not like blatant, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows you're not contributing food. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I I agree with you. I just have played with people that they're like, no, if I'm not going to complete my personal objective, I don't care if we win the game. And that's not fun. Yeah. Those people, that's tough. That, that would be difficult for me to play with a person like that. Because like I said, at the end of the day, if we if we can win that main objective and I don't win that, I still consider that a win for me mm-hmm. at least. Because again, that game, that game is just difficult. And there is one issue that I do have with the game. Well, there's the, I understand your issue with that. And that's, that's valid. I can see that people, there are people who play games that do that. And it's in some ways like king making, like if I'm going down, everyone's going down. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is a, it's just a personality thing. The other thing that sometimes bugs me is when you're going to these locations, right? Two things. One, as you travel, as you move, you have to roll an exposure die. Okay, and this die has four different things. There's either a blank face that does absolutely nothing. There's going to be like a little like blood drop, which is you take a wound. If you mm-hmm. get three wounds, you die. There's a frostbite, which is like a little snowflake, which means you collect wounds round to round to round, but you can heal them with medicine. And then the last thing is a tooth, which you insta die. And it basically you're infected. And then if you're at a location with other people, it can basically start spreading to everybody, which can be super devastating. Mm -hmm. The reason why I struggle with that, which ties into the next point, is when you search at locations, you can find additional survivors. So you could 
end up being playing a game where one person is controlling you start the game with two survivors you can a person can end up controlling five survivors having six action dice and then the person to their left has one survivor and two action dice Mm -hmm. so now that one person with five is doing way more than that person with one and i've Mm -hmm. been on both sides of the coin where i've had five or six and i'm just doing a bunch of stuff and then i've been on the other side where i've only had one and it feels like i'm not contributing nearly as much Mm-hmm. So that can be difficult. We pl- we used to play this game a ton, a ton, and I really enjoyed it and I had a lot of fun with it. And I think I'm just a little bit over it. It, it just doesn't, um, I don't think it holds up as well. I think it's it's very swingy and it's very, it's very thematic. And it's it's just, to me, it's, it's not my style of game. It's not a lot of strategy. It's just kind of like, see what happens. And hopefully we don't get bitten by these zombies. And, and I can see that a lot of people would really like this game and um, have a lot of fun with it. It's just not my style anymore. But I did have a lot of fun with it when I did play it. What would you rate this game today? Probably today I'd rate it a six. Oh, that's the worst. I'm giving <laughs> it I'm giving it a 9.5. I love this game. Really? I still do. Still? Yeah. Even, oh, even yeah. after all these years? Yeah, it's... Uh, such a fun unique game and even despite those those flaws bring it down to a 9.5 if there weren't those like tiny like nitpicks Mm -hmm. where one person ends up with a bunch of people and one person doesn't and having you know a player who decides you know what everyone's going down with this ship aside from those i think this game is fantastic it gives me just that right tension i didn't like it as much if it was just straight co-op which i've played like i said I didn't enjoy it as much. It, it lacks that tension yeah. of just not knowing. Mm-hmm. And normally when I play, what I'll do is if there's five players, there's six personal objective cards and one of them's a trader. So there's a very good chance. I mean, you can play it a variety of ways where you do 10 objectives and then one trader card. So it's less likely that you got a trader, but maybe I mm-hmm. like having the likelihood higher, but I still like, I still really enjoy this game. And the thing is another point I want to make is it's a zombie apocalypse game. But the zombies are almost like secondary to the overall game. You could be mm-hmm. being attacked by werewolves. It could be a werewolf game, really. Yeah. Which makes it seem unthematic, but it still is very thematic just with the way it is. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people are like, a zombie game. I'm over zombie games. This doesn't necessarily feel like a zombie apocalypse game. Like I'm not trying to kill a bunch of zombies. Like I'm trying to achieve objectives. Zombies are secondary. I am killing mm-hmm. zombies, but it's not the main focus of this game. Yeah, you got to keep them at bay. If there's too many that come knocking on your door, you want to attack them. Um, But other than that, you're really just trying to survive. You're trying to stay out of their way and survive. Yep. It's definitely a survival game. But I I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like semi-co-ops or thematic zombie survival games. If you're uh, to zombie games, I wouldn't say this is a straight zombie game. This isn't like the game Zombies where all you're doing is destroying zombies. No, there's a lot more to it than this game. I really still enjoy it. I think it's great. One of our friends, Tom and I, we both own both versions. And we there's an expansion called Warring Colonies where you can have two colonies playing against each other. And we've been, <laughs> we've been trying to get a game of that played. We just need 10 people. That's it. Just 10 people. Anyone who wants to play, let me know. Shoot me an email. We'll set it up. <laughs> <laughs> two Warring Colonies. I'll take eight. We can do eight. Four versus four. I'm done with that too. But That sounds fun, actually. Would you do it? I would do it, yeah, because yes. that sounds fun, like an experience, right? Yeah, right, for sure. Just like playing Captain Sonar or something. But yeah. anyway, that is Dead of Winter. All right, next up, I want to talk about Paint the Roses. This is a newer game designed by Ben Goldman, arts by Jack Hugh Davis and Naomi Stanton Gullick. 
It's published by North Star Game Studio. This is a co-op deduction game. Um, in this game, players are working together to try to figure out how the queen wants the roses painted at that moment. So every player in the game gets a whim card. And on your turn, you're going to take a shrub tile and place it on the board and then indicate how many times their win requirements have been met with that shrub card. Then everyone else places a cube on that tile if it meets their win requirements as well. So the shrubs are all one of four shapes and one of four colors. And there's three levels of whim cards. So there's an easy whim, which is uh, color to color. So if I draw an easy whim tile, I'm going to maybe it's it says I need um, roses purple next to red. And then I draw, um, I pick one of the red tiles and I place it next to two purple tiles. And then I put my, I put two purple cubes or two of my cubes on that tile that I just placed because I have made my whim happen twice with the red to purple and red to purple. Um, cause there's two purple tiles out there. And then everyone looks at, looks around and they're like, oh, I know that you have an easy color to color. So it's gotta be red to purple because there's only purple is the only one with two ones out there. So then they would guess my tile and, and, um, we would advance along the track. Um, if we couldn't figure it out, then, um, uh, we could, we have to make a guess. And if we're wrong, then the queen doubles her speed. And, and, and if she catches up to us, we lose the game. And then there's the medium whim cards. Medium could be color to color or shape to shape. So if I had a medium one and I had two cubes on there, you might guess, okay, um, you know, it could be red to purple or it could be, you know, there's two hearts. So it could, you know, and I place a diamond out there. So it could be maybe a diamond to heart. And so we, we wouldn't know. Um, so then we, you know, the next person would take their turn and they would maybe try to select a red, purple or diamond or heart that, that would help us figure out, you know, what my whim card card, um, says. And then there's hard, which is, it could be, um, color to color, shape to shape or shape to color, which is really hard. When we played it, we didn't play with any of the hard cards. You're only allowed to have one medium card or sorry, one easy card out at a time. So everyone, we, there was four of us, everybody had um, a medium except for one person had an easy and the easy was definitely way easier to figure out the the medium definitely took at least two rounds to to figure everybody's out so the deduction itself is really really straightforward like it's it's pretty much like okay it could be this this or this we could guess you know or we could just keep going and try to figure it out so the deduction itself super simple but where where it really kind of comes in and becomes interesting is okay, we know, let's say I'm playing with Bob and I know that Bob either has purple to red or hearts to diamond and it's Bob's turn and he selected a card, put his tile out there and it could still be, and he's given us no useful information because, um, or whatever reason he couldn't pick a tile that gave him useful information. So now we, now we haven't narrowed it down, but we could say, well, Bob didn't select that pink one. So I, I think if if he had pink to red, purple, he would have selected that pink tile. So the fact that he selected this one and gave us no information, I, I think it's the shapes because if if he had the color one, he would have selected the color. So that's really where the deduction comes from. And I, I think that's really interesting. So the deduction itself, super simple. But then, you know, taking what people are doing and adding that on top of the, okay, so it could be 50-50, it could go either way. But because Bob selected this tile and placed it in this spot, I think he has the shape one. 
Let's guess that one. And I think that's really the heart and soul of this game and what makes it interesting is is trying to deduce what people are doing and why. So you might not have a lot of information to give on your turn, but we know that we're trying to solve somebody else's. So you might select that tile. And I think that's really the heart and soul of this game and what makes it interesting. I also really like that it's a co-op game. I like co-op games with hidden information, like puzzly style co-op games opposed to like Dead of Winter where we're just in encounter situations. When you said it was a cooperative game, two things happened. One, I was like, hmm, cooperative, you say? I might want to try this. And second, I'm like, she likes a cooperative game? <laughs> like, <laughs> And the, the most accurate thing you said is Bob gave, gave no actual good information. I'm like, yep, that sounds about, about <laughs> what it would be. <laughs> I listened to Tom's review and he didn't like it at all. He said it was way too hard. But so I knew that going into this game that it was a hard one. So I always selected the easy because everyone else else was selecting medium and we never touched the hard ones and we didn't have any problems with it. We won it and it moved along really quite nicely. And I had a lot of fun kind of the deduction itself. Like I said, super simple, not that interesting, but using what other people are doing, the clues of what, what tile they're selecting, where they're placing it at. That is what makes this game really interesting. Do you think it would be a game I would like? Um, I don't know. What don't you like about deduction games? I mean, they make me feel stupid. Because that's it's it's one of those things that for de- for deduction style games, I just don't play deduction style games. I just don't, you know. Mm-hmm. And for me, growing up, I was always really good at math. So for me to say, all right, I need to figure out X. Well, I know the equation I need to plug in to do it. Whereas opposed to trying to figure out what that equation is. And with a deduction style game, it always seems like I pick up the information one clue later than it needed to be for me to be successful. I love deduction, but I think a lot of the games aren't very good because they all rely on like basically the luck of the draw with what you're figuring out with the exception of like cryptid where everybody has all of the same information and that's pure deduction whoever figures it out first wins i think that one's a straight deduction game but other games you know like clue and awkward guess you're really really waiting on the luck of the draw to get the cards that you need in order to figure it out you know and i think they all suffer from that and and that's what i like about this one it's pure co-op So we're all working together, but we all have our own personal information that's secret, but we're, we're all working to solve your, what your whim is. And you're all working to solve what my whim is. And it's all open. So we're like, okay, we know that it's either one of these two. We've all decided that. So we have to figure out which one it is and how can, how can I use my action to figure out, you know, if not my whim, then, then somebody else's that we're close to figuring out. And I think that's where the, the heart and soul of this game is. It's not, the deduction is a really simple part of it. So I, I would say you should give it a try. All right, I'll give it a go. I'll try it. Is the theme pretty strong in it or not really? Um, No, it's it's Alice in Wonderland. It's really just, you know, the, the, the four symbols are the four decks of cards, you know? Yeah. Or the, yeah. And then the colors and the, the, the queen runs around trying to chop her heads off. So we have to try to, you know, complete it before she um get, catches up to us. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely give this one a try. Especially the fact that it's co-op, so like my stupidity will affect everyone else's, so everyone else's ability to guess, which is fantastic for me. I I'd love it. Yeah. I think it'd be really good. As long as <laughs> yeah. I get the easy whim. I need the easy one. Well, 
actually you'd want the hard one because everyone's trying to guess yours. You want somebody uh, else to have the okay, easy gotcha. one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, you well, uh, maybe not because then I would the amount of information that I would have to convey. Yeah, I don't know. I'll give it a go. We'll try. Yeah, it's about we'll like your choices really are what tile are you going to grab and where are you going to place it? What tiles are you going to place it next to? That's going to give your opponents the most information about what you're doing. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd be down. I'll try it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly quick one. It's probably only an hour, so you're not out anything. Oh, an hour. Wow. <laughs> when you said quick, I thought like 20 minutes. No, it's probably a little longer. It's probably an hour, yeah. I would rate this game a seven. I'd recommend it if you like deduction, if you like co-op games. Um, I think it's it's unique enough to make it worth checking out. Um, that's Paint the Roses. All right. So next up, I want to talk about a book I recently read. And Natasha recommends. Yep. This it's is a, a side. It's a working. It's a working segment title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Well, I want it to be what we recommend. So I'm, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But you haven't recommended anything yet. Uh, yeah. Bob reads all these books, but he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I can't recommend them. I don't, (laughs) for book club. No, so, uh, yeah, um, I, you should read Dune. I think, I think people need to read Dune. I think that would be my recommendation. Read Dune. Uh, I don't know. Well, the thing is everyone missed, like, because of the movies, everyone seems to think Dune, the book is very different than the movies. The movies very much, and I've talked about this last episode, I think, but the movie focuses on the combat where in the book the combat is literally a 12 page chapter and that's it otherwise it's very much about the the journey of paul atreides you know bridging or joining the people of arrakis and just you know becoming their essentially messiah and all this other stuff it's it's i think it's very good and the thing is dune itself is the one book everything else is just Think of it as expanded universe content. It's not like book two of a series that you need to know how it ends. Like Dune ends at the end of it, where everything else is just kind of builds upon the Dune universe. That's my recommendation. Read Dune. It's good. I don't know. You can sell it to me. It's really boring. All right. My recommendation is Set My Heart to Five. It's by Simon Stephenson. It's a book. Um, Sci-fi. (laughs) in case you were curious (laughs) it's set in 2054 where humans have locked themselves out of the internet and elon musk has incinerated the moon set my heart to five as a hilarious yet profoundly moving story of one android's emotional awakening so it's about a robot who figures out you know who's sentient and, and and has all these emotions and it's really cute it's light and fun and um really cute that's set my heart to five Sounds interesting. I love how they included Elon Musk blowing up the moon. <laughs> I was reading that and I was like, I don't remember that. I don't. That's not a, a part of a point of the book. It's about this little cute android who has feelings and and um, you know, has to figure out how to you know not get uh, destroyed by the humans because he has feelings. It's interesting because I'm the book we're reading for book club right now is uh, a Psalm of the Wild Built. Which is a, a sh- it's like a hundred and fifty page book. It's real, it's real small, but it's about um, how society had robots doing a bunch of manufacturing and stuff, and then they they become sentient and they're like, we're gonna, you know, we don't want to do this anymore. And everyone's like, well, you can come live with us. And they're like, no, we want to do our own thing. The only thing we know how to do is, you know, this work. So they go like claim a part of the world as theirs. So they develop their own si- society, and then a monk who um, is just like searching to find himself meets up with a robot and then they go on adventures and stuff. Huh. Uh, so that's what I'm currently reading 
is. And I'll let you guys know what I think of it. Well, that's going to wrap up this part of the episode. Natasha recommends that book. Set my heart to five. Set my heart to five. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to discuss Grand Con. Welcome back. It is time for us to talk about Grand Con, which is a gaming convention. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, it's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So it's a pretty small convention that we have here. I mean, they have vendors and stuff, but it's probably 12 vendors. So it's it's pretty tiny. It's it's more of like a go and play convention. And this is the first one that they've had in, I think Brian said two and a half years. Yeah. The first one he's had in I two and a half was, years. I think it's more than, I think it's like 20 or 25 vendors. Yeah, it's probably, it probably is closer to that. It doesn't feel that big. Like the vendors. No, it, yeah. the vendors are local. A lot of hobby makers, like the a lot of geek stuff um, and some board game shops there. There wasn't a lot of board game vendors there. Yeah, the, for the most part, everything is going to be local. Even the art, local artists and stuff usually have some sort of booth there. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I would say it's a convention you go to game. So similar to uh, Origins where you're going to there just to sit and play games. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about the feel of Grand Con for me personally. The thing is, because it's local, the instant reaction is like, man, this is awesome. We have a local like convention that we get to go to and like play games at and stuff. But here's mm-hmm. the reality, at least for me, is yes, it's local, but I'm also still home. So I'm still doing stuff at home while still <laughs> going to a convention. It doesn't feel like it doesn't have a very feel like going to Origins or going to Gen Con. Or you're devoting you're, all your time to going to the convention. Th- that is my time. Yeah, I'm. I've. I have a room there. I'm stay there. Like the only reason why I'm there is to do this thing. Whereas Grand Con is almost like yes, it's this whole weekend, but I'm also still coming home every night. Like I'm still you know with my family and like I'm still doing family stuff. So it has a different feel for me. That said, I still enjoy it because you're you're able to go and you're able to meet new people and play games with them and stuff. So for a low cost, basically we don't have to get a hotel room. It's just the price of the convention. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. For me, I, I carved out time to go and I spent the whole weekend there as if I had stayed there and I came home obviously at night because it was only a half an hour drive. I didn't get a hotel room or anything. But that was pretty much the difference. I was there all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I felt like just like if I was going to Origins, except for I came home at night and that was it. So I think that's it's just how you how you decide to, you know, if you're going to carve out time and make, make it a whole event or if you're going to just go whenever you can fit it in. Uh, for me, it was more I, I guess I did it. I g- went when I could. Yeah. I was there a decent chunk most of the days. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday convention. Mm-hmm. Friday, I get a text from Natasha at like 9 in the morning. Hey, where are you at? I'm like, I'm home with my kids. Like, I got stuff I got to do. Like, I'm not getting there until like noon. What are you talking about? Saturday, I was there most of the day. Saturday was actually, I think Saturday was personally awesome for me because Ashley, my wife, and I both went, mm-hmm. which she's never been to a convention. Uh, this was her first convention experience. So she was able to, you know, uh, sit down, play a game with, you know, complete strangers. There was actually three people we played. We played Planet Unknown. And we played with three people, uh, Marlena, Tammy, and Brent, I believe, were the three people we played with. And they were awesome. They were from the east side of the state. And it was really cool to be able to sit down with them. They, you know, they seemed seemed like really cool people, be able to just sit and play a game or whatever. We were chit-chatting it up, which is nice. So, like I said, it was nice to be able to 
go to a convention with Ashley so she could experience it. And then Sunday, Sunday, I, the entire day I kind of had blocked off because of something that I was doing, but playing Star Wars Rebellion for five hours. But anywho, <laughs> Ashley actually came and she brought my daughter. My daughter was able to kind of experience it too because she's always been kind of curious about that stuff. So it was good. It was good overall for them to come and see it, I think. Yeah. I really like their board game library. I think it's one of the best. I think it's it's just as good, if not better, than Origins, which makes it a, such a great convention for playing board games. Everybody there was there to play board games. And, and on Saturday and the biggest day, it was full. The tables were all full and in a good way, like not over full or anything. And everyone was playing a ton of games. And that was super cool. They've got those cones that you can grab and you can play. You can set up if you're a game if you're looking for players. So on Saturday morning, Bob was coming, but he wasn't going to be there for an hour. And I had gotten there and everyone had already started playing a game. So or my friends had. So I went and he you wanted to play Planet Unknown. So I went and grabbed it. But I'm like, I'm going to wait an hour and not play it. So I started setting it up and put a cone out. And that's where I met Tammy and Brett. And they played with me. I was like, hey, you want to play this game? They're like, sure. And so we played it. And um, I really enjoy that experience of going to conventions um, of of being by yourself and just grabbing a game you want to play and setting it up and, and having people walk by and, and be like, Hey, you want to play with me and, and meeting people. And and I would strongly, strongly recommend, I know everyone's not going to come to grand con if you're not from this area, but if you have a local board gaming convention, I highly recommend going, even if you go by yourself, do not let that stop you because they're so easy to get in and meet other people and to get on games and, and end up playing games. You can either set up your own game you want to play, put a cone up, or you can go around looking for cones of games that people are already looking to play. And I think you should definitely go even, do not let being alone stop you. It's just as fun to go by yourself. It's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I think going to a convention and playing games with complete strangers is it's a mixed bag. So you can have extremely positive experiences and you yeah. can have like extremely negative experiences. And at least for me, I have found that the positive experiences always outweigh the negative. Yeah. So the two things I can think of is this game we played of planet unknown with those three people. Like it was awesome. We were all kind of sitting around joking, having a good time. Like it was, it was a very positive, fun experience I had with them. Right. Yep. It was, it was good to get to know people that were in Grand Rapids that were somewhere else and just be able to chat with them. How do they get in the game? Stuff like that. It was awesome, right? But then you you rewind to Origins when we're trying to get Scythe played and that one dude just like doesn't look interesting. And that negativity can often detract people from wanting to do that and go and get, you know, players or whatever because that dude was just, I don't know, in a particular mood that but, day. But then the two people we got to sit down with us, it was awesome. It was a great yeah. experience, you know? Yeah, he wasn't interested. And he was like, no, nope, doesn't look interesting. And he left. So it was fine. Like, you can kind of, you can get a feel for people, like, before you commit to playing a game. Like, oh, what are you playing? And then they're like, oh, this game. I'm like, oh, uh, you'll have an idea if you think you'll like it or not. And then you can ask them, like, oh, have you played it yet? Like, you know, do you know how to teach it? And if they're like, no, I'm going to read the rule book. Then you're like, oh, okay, no, thanks continue on you know you can get a good feel for if you want to play with somebody you can kind of chit chat with them like oh i haven't played this style game do you typically like it you can get an idea of their personality you stand close enough to them like they smell fine you know before you commit yeah. to 
<laughs> to sitting down at the table with them. Like you don't need to like look at somebody and then that's your commitment. Like you can wander over there and chit chat. I yeah. love seeing what people are playing, walking by and go, Oh, I played that yesterday. I, I really enjoyed it. And, and, you know, talk to people. I think that's a lot of fun. And, and I think that you, I enjoy going alone because I don't get those experiences when, when I'm with my friends. It's awesome. Cause I have my friends there. But I don't get to experience meeting new people as much as when I am alone. And I enjoy that just as much. And that is a, the other probably difficult thing about a local convention is you, for the most part, you're, you seem to be playing games with the people you know. Everybody, right? who's, everybody who's local goes, right? Which yeah, is cool the most like, part, to see yeah. everybody there. Yeah. Like everybody in our town that's into gaming, you know, is going to go. For the most part, yeah. Because it's, again, just having that local venue or whatever not the cost is so low because you're really just paying for the ticket right Mm -hmm. so it's it's really not that expensive to go but that tends to be the hard part is it's harder to meet new people and have new experiences based off of going to a local it's just harder because you're just interacting with yeah yeah. when you know right correct yep so let's let's talk about some of the games we got played Mm -hmm. some of the games we tried to get played and didn't (laughs) and so on I, i don't think i experienced that (laughs) <laughs> no you didn't oh man so i don't play a our, five hour two player game yeah okay so here's the deal here's our squabble all right we we had a squabble so i get a text from natasha friday morning and i had originally intended to go friday early in the morning uh, i say early but mid-morning and go play games but just the way schedules worked out at my house like i couldn't do it my wife had some clients she had to see cool whatever like i just you know i had the kids so by the time I was able to drop them off, I wasn't able to get there until like between 1230 and one, I think. But regardless, so I get a text from Natasha like, hey, where are you at? I'm like, I'm, you know, I can't come right now. I got, you know, I got the kids. She's like, oh, we're playing Foundations of Rome. And then she sends me a picture of her playing some Foundations of Rome, the one she posted on our Instagram. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, all right, whatever. So then I show up. Later, this is after Foundations of Rome. And the whole weekend, I, we were talking. We were like, well, what kind of games do we want to play? And I'm like, I'd like to get Foundations of Rome played. You know, I'd like to I'd like to try to get that game played. Because we've talked about it and referenced it so many times on this episode, it on this podcast. It feels like at some point we need to, like, I need to play it and review it or do something. Talk about it after having played it. that was your chance, though. They had it at the Board Gaming <sighs> Library, which was so cool. And nobody, yeah, nobody owns it, which I do not recommend buying it. It's ridiculous how big in, and it is. It's fine it's game. Pretty, it's pretty lavish. So anyway, the but, whole weekend, I'm just, and no one's like interested in playing it, right? Mm-hmm. So fine. Okay. Fast forward to Sunday. Uh, our friend Chris and I had decided we were going to play Star Wars Rebellion. We had the time. We wanted to sit down. We wanted to play it. And the convention ended at like four, I think. So we got down. We started playing it at probably around 10 in the morning. And it's, I mean, it took us you know, a good five hours to play. Well, Tatasha strolls over and she's like, she's like, oh, you guys still playing your two player game? Just all like snooty and her like snooty little, you know, (laughs) attitude that she has. And I was like, yeah, we're still playing that. She's like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to play Foundations of Rome now. And I'm like, seriously, (laughs) you know, I've been wanting to play that like all weekend. That's exactly how the conversation went. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she's like, she's like, yep, you guys can go ahead and have fun with your little two player game. And then just like, then she like leaves and then as she's coming back, she's like, well, I'm going to go play Foundations of Rome, like snooty like. And I'm like, come on. How are you going to throw that in my face like that? Come on, bro. <laughs> I'm trying to play it all all convention. You're going to do that to me? Ugh, worst. Yeah. 
We played that. We played that a couple times, and we played Planet Unknown a lot. I saw that checked out. Both of those games were checked out and played a lot. I'm going to tell you this right now, sneak peek into the future. I think Planet Unknown might be my favorite game of 2022. That every time I played it, it just, uh, I love that game more and more. Mm-hmm. I played There's it five just... times this weekend. It was so good every time. And I cannot, we haven't even, we've only played the basic. If you flip over, the boards are all different with yeah. all unique player powers. Yeah. I cannot even, I can't wait to get into that. It just, yeah, it just tickles my mind just right. But mm-hmm. anywho, that's, I mean, we still have a bunch of games to talk about and review for the rest of 22, but yeah, it's, it's good. I really like it. But yeah. So what um, other games have you, did you play? <laughs> cosmic frog oh man that game yeah that game was interesting <laughs> it's it's like the art is so cool it's about these giant frogs traveling through space gulping up terrain and then like putting it in their vault to score points um but it's also got a lot of combat in it um it's 100 percent not my style of game no. and i recognize that i think that this game is for other people and i'm sure other people would enjoy it um the artwork is super cool it's it's trippy looking um you know i posted on instagram if you want to take a look at it um but god it it was just awful i hated ever i hated it i hated like it was all fighting random randomness like people were going after jeremy he ended the game with zero points because he could steal things out of the vault and and bob just kind of snuck around like staying away from everybody and and was fine it was it was um really really bad for 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 a game that seems to reward combat i i did not roll one die the entire game which you would think a game like that i'd be chucking dice as much as i could Uh but i just i don't know for whatever reason i stayed away from it so it has this weird system of being in places so you're either like on the grid or in the ether and when everyone was battling in the ether, I was on the grid. And when everyone was like kind of on the grid, like attacking each other, I was in the ether. So like mm-hmm. you scoop up these terrain tiles in your gullet and then you regurgitate them into your vault. But you can only do that in the ether. So I would like collect my stuff, go out there, re- you know, throw it up into my vault and then come <sighs> back. And like before I could get attacked and it just, yeah, I feel bad for Jeremy. It really did. He, like it felt like everyone was just like. He just, the thing was, he was just always putting himself in a position to get attacked, I feel like. But, oh, man. It was bad. And the and the combat wasn't fun. It was really, like, kind of lame. And I didn't attack anybody, but I got attacked a few times, which sucked. But my, I think my favorite part of that game is when we're playing with uh, a friend of ours, Keith. And uh, he he's just like, well, I'm going to attack. And everyone's like, you're not going to collect training? He's like, no, I'm just going to attack. And he just looks at everyone. He goes, I'm not playing the same game you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. it's so good i think this game has a place like people who are into this style game if you if it sounds fun to you it'll probably be fun to you but yeah it was not my style at all the artwork i the artwork is amazing though it is mm-hmm. spectacular the artwork i like is great i did like the action selection so instead of going around the table taking turns um there's a deck of cards and everyone has three of their player a color has uh, has three cards in the deck and you shuffle it up and so you randomly reveal whose turn it is. So you could have like three turns at the beginning of the round and then sit out for the rest of the round or you could sit out for the whole beginning and and have three turns at the very end or you can like, you know, it could just be random. It's totally random. So you have no idea when your turn's coming up, which like I think would suck in any kind of strategic game, but for some reason it was fine. 
this game was way overly complicated. Like even throughout at the very end, we're like, how does things score? Like, how do you do this? And he kept asking tons of questions because it just didn't make a lot of sense. There was probably more minutiae in that game than there needed to be. But it, yeah, like you said, the people who are going to love that game are going to love that game. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fine. It just, the, I had some issues with like the player aids. They listed your actions, but they didn't tell you what the actions did. Oh, yeah. There was, yeah. there was just a bunch of like random stuff that would happen. Like you would lose your player power and then you would get a different one, but you could, pl- you could, uh, use oomph to keep it and i don't don't know it was fine whatever it was yeah i hated every second of it (laughs) oh that was so good i hated it yeah it was bad um i did play a really good social deduction game we always try to do some big fun games while we're at cons and um i played uh what was it called time bomb and it was really really good um is that your first time playing it yes and Uh, i loved it I'll I'll do a full review, but what made this game so good was that the good guys sometimes lie to prevent the bad guys from like getting the bomb. And I think it's really cool. A lot of social deduction games, it's really just trying to figure out who's lying. Plain and simple. This, there's like an objective and some strategy and it, being able to help figure out who's lying is helpful, but it's not the whole game. I, I really, really like it. Quick, you know, five to 10 minute game. I think it's my favorite social deduction game. I think the other big thing about it is you can you can be called out as being the traitor or whatever, and it's still fine. I know at one point I lied about something, mm-hmm. and Tom, our friend's like, Bob's clearly lying. And I look at him, and all of a sudden I just get this like big grin on my face, and I'm like, yes, I am. I am lying. I do have that. And then Natasha, so there was two of us that were like the traitor, and mm-hmm. Natasha was the other one. And I, you have to like clip wires on people, right? And I was like, does anyone want to clip the wires on my board? And Natasha's like, I will. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, cool. Nice. All right. So now now we know we're our team. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. It was, I think it was my favorite social deduction game that I played because there was, there was more of a game to it than um, the social deduction, but it was so light and quick that who cares? You know, you out, yeah. get out and you, you lose or you get out and you win. It doesn't matter. You know, it's fine. Yeah. It was definitely it interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We played medium, which is a party game. That was kind of interesting where yeah. you, so you're, you play the, the scoring is a lot like uh, uh, between two cities where, two people will win based on the score number between the two of them. So what ends up happening is one one player will play a card and then the player to their right will play an, another card. So they're going to have two things. So it could be chef and cake. So one person plays chef, the other person plays cake, and then they count down from three and they need to say a word and it needs to match. So it would be three, two, one, pastry. They both say pastry. They could score five, six points. See, and I would have said, I would have said baker. Okay, so, so we, now now if we miss it, so now we have our new words are pastry and baker. So now we would have to come up with a word that would link the two on that one. Mm-hmm. You have a word, don't you? Yeah. Ready? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, pastry and baker. Oh, uh, yeah, I got it. Okay. All right. Three, two, two one. one. Bread. Flour. Uh, what did so you say? We, bread. Bread. Oh, we were close. Okay, so now... Yeah. We say bread and flour. Yeah. I think that was our third attempt, though. 
So we would have uh, lost. Yeah, either way. we were. Yeah, so at that point, it just moves on to the next It's team. really, you, really hard. <laughs> but when you yeah. do get a word at the same time, it's like magical and so fun. I saw another group playing that game too, and they were really having a good time with it. But there was... Um, a, it's it, we played it with a big group and basically you just go around and it's the, you just do it with your neighbor and then they go around to their neighbor and um so you wait a while for your turn but it's fun to watch them and you you come up with your words yourself in your head and you know and then they they come up with a different word you're like oh no i guess i wouldn't have. there was so there was um what was the one john and jeremy had it movie was... and butter no, 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 no. That was Marty. That was, yeah, it was just, yeah, popcorn, right? It was super easy. No, it was, uh, it was dog and dog and something else, dog and pregnant or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And like, everyone's like, all right, yeah. And John, John's like, I got this. I got this. I got this. Three, two, one. And then everyone at the table basically says puppy. <laughs> and he says, he says the curse word for a female dog. <laughs> and he just looks at us like, we're the idiots. <laughs> We're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you say puffy? But he 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 exuded so much confidence that he was gonna like him and Jeremy were gonna get it right. Those, I think that's the fun part of social deduction games is when you get stories like that. Oh my god! Yeah, it was a lot of. Fun. I think there's a lot of meta too. I think you get good at this game if you played it and you got better at it. You played it a lot, it'd be fun. That one was a lot of fun. Okay, I had a lot. I had a really good time at the convention. I played a lot of board games, and that was the whole point of going. So I want to talk about my game of Star Wars Rebellion, okay. since it it stopped me from playing Foundations of Rome. But anyway, so Chris and I got a chance to sit down and play Star Wars Rebellion, and this thing was epic. He played the Empire, I played the Rebellion, and it it legit came down to the very last turn. So. It was one of those games where he was struggling to find me. He was spreading out so much that he was covering so much terrain that I was getting so nervous the entire time that he was going to find me. And he eventually finds me, but I had built up such a force in my rebel base that he didn't have the troops necessary to destroy my base. So then I can mobilize and move to another base. And when I assign two leaders to it, I, I can look through this deck of cards, which are probe cards. And I can look through the top eight and pick a planet off of that. There's only seven. I don't think I've ever played a game where it's gotten down to that like few cards. Mm. So I only had seven choices and there was only like one good one that I could go to. And it finally, the last round. So the way the game ends is there are two markers that are going down a track. One's the round marker and one's the rebellion reputation marker. And as you gain reputation, it gets closer to the round marker. If they ever meet, rebellion wins. So it's the very last round. The next round, it's going to, the two are going to meet. And he knows where I am. I know he knows where I am. So I don't even, we're just like, all right, let's do this. Because he has a force that he's about to bring in there. He moves his people in and we do an epic battle. And he needs to destroy all my troops. And that role that I had to defend against his attack Mm -hmm. destroyed like half of his ground units. I rolled so well. It felt so epic that like we ended up winning, but it was just on the like skin of our teeth. Like it just was so close. It felt it, five hour game ended up coming down to this one battle, but it felt so thematic. Like it was me and him have been texting about it, about how like we would have done things differently and just such a good game. It was so worth playing it for five hours. 
Then why are you so moody about about not, not being able to play Foundations of Rome? It, and, it was your attitude that you gave me. That's what I'm moody about is the little <laughs> snarky little, mm, uh, you play your little two-player game. I'm going to play my gonna play this game that I know you've been wanting to play. Wow. Wow. I feel like you're really sensitive. Normally I'm not, but I don't know for whatever reason that triggered me. It was your just your your general like <laughs> like jerkiness is what it was. Nobody believes you. <laughs> no, nobody I know. I know. That's you. the thing. That's the problem is nobody no nobody listening. Everyone who like listens and knows you, they're like, that's not like a thing. And I'm, Pop's a jerk. <laughs> I'm the one that's the jerk in this in this <laughs> duo, which makes no sense to me, but whatever. It is what it is. People don't like me when they first meet me. It's cool. I'm cool with it. I am, I am sweet and kind no, and nice. You are the, you're the type of person that will stab somebody in the back as quickly as you can. I'm just kidding. You're not. You're not. You're not only in board games. I mean, in a board game, hell yeah, I would. Not in real life. <laughs> no, not in real life. No. <laughs> no. I'm the person that seems like they're going to stab you in the back, but they won't. I, I don't know. Whatever. It's all good. They like you better. You're the. <laughs> We're still friends, and we yeah. will hopefully play Foundations of Rome at some point. Together. We will. We just yeah. Somebody needs to own it and just be like, "Hey, Bob, Natasha, let's play. let's play." Actually, you know what? Natasha doesn't have to. She's already played it two times. <laughs> yeah, just you, Bob. I played it enough. It was fine. I just uh, I wouldn't spend one hundred and twenty dollars on it. That's the problem. Fine. Is like, is it is it worth the amount of money? No. So that would be short answer. Thing. No. Short answer. No. There you yeah, go. There you so it's overproduced, it but it has an awful, horrible, ugly, plain cardboard coins. I don't understand how you can overproduce a game so much and have such horrible money. That bothers me. Is it cardboard money or paper money? Cardboard. It's okay. chits. But Ugh. it's like they're plain, like they barely have any artwork on them. They're How are they not chintzy? metal coins? I don't that, understand. that like deluxified version, that yes. makes zero sense. This I, I think I'd like the game. It'd be just fine if it was uh, shrunk down, smaller pieces. I love the game trays, all the personal, um, you know, you're, part of the reason it takes up so much room is because you pull out this tray and you pass it to each people, each person at the table. So it's super easy setup. It's all in the right spot. Love that. They could have just made those pieces a little smaller, s- shorter trays. It could have fit in uh, like a Isle of Cats box. And I think I would appreciate it. But I cannot recommend this game. I, I don't recommend spending $120 on it. Not at the price point that it is. Yeah, I. I mean, Fair unless enough. you're into like you love super deluxe luxified games, then yeah, then then it would be good. I mean, you know, you know, if you like this game, if you're interested in it, you probably like it. If you're not interested in owning a giant big box, you probably don't. But anyways, fair enough. That's all I'm gonna say for now. I'll get it. I'll get it played eventually, mm-hmm. at some point. Somebody, somebody has it, right? Somebody's got to have it. Somebody will. Yeah, for sure. So I'll get it. I'll get it played, and we'll talk about it. All right, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk about some of our favorite designers. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>